0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on AM 900
1: CHML. The big news, of course, happened in Flint, Michigan. Uh, by the way, a city known very well to many people in Hamilton uh, because of the affiliation with the Canusa Games he- held each and every year between the cities of Flint, Michigan, and Hamilton. Uh, young athletes from both cities, of course, uh, go from city to city and compete in friendly competition. So we know that area. It's a city that's in the news for all the wrong reasons in the last couple of years because of water quality issues. But now it's in the news because of a, well, an alleged terrorist attack. A Montreal man attacked a, an airport security officer at Flint, Michigan Airport Terminal. The accused decided cited uh, the conflict in the Middle East as justification. What do we know so far? Well, to that end, we're pleased to welcome Mike Armstrong, Quebec correspondent with Global National, to the Bill Keller Show on CHML to get the latest. Mike, how are you doing this morning? Very well. This has uh, been a very fluid situation over the last 24 hours. Maybe you could bring us up to speed on what you've learned about uh, what has happened, who's responsible, and, and, and the status as of, as of now, anyway.
0: Yeah, most of the information has been coming out of the FBI in the States, and they've literally broke down the attack, literally right down to the second. Um, so it would have started at 8.52 yesterday. Um, this is from surveillance cameras, so they've got the times. Fatui would have walked into the front first level of the Bishop International Airport uh, carrying a red duffel bag and a dark satchel. At 9.10, he took the escalator up to the second floor and went to a restaurant. 9.37, he left the restaurant, so he spent about a half an hour there with the bags. 9.38, so then everything happens here over the course of the next minute and a half about. He went into a washroom with the two bags, Thirty seconds later, exited that washroom uh, without the bags, and then five seconds later, attacked the officer. Uh, He would have used a very large knife, an Amazon jungle survival knife, apparently with a green handle, black serrated edge, and attacked the officer from behind, slashing him, according to witnesses, on the right side of his neck that officer is a uh, lieutenant excuse me lieutenant neville he's in satisfactory condition and that is uh, apparently an improvement over how he was yesterday when he was listed in critical condition
1: now you mentioned this is from from videos of, of course and surveillance cameras uh, within the airport itself i i don't know that airport mike is is it a large airport is it something where somebody could could walk around to be inconspicuous or, or is it that small that, that people would have noticed uh, activity
0: yeah, I, I don't know the airport that well, but it seems like uh, he didn't raise any alarm bells by uh, for, from anybody. I mean, uh, walking around, that that's certainly clear. He would have spent uh, 27 minutes at that restaurant for some reason and then attacked an officer within, you know, basically two minutes later.
1: So... Do we know much about this individual? Because and, and maybe we can get into the coordination that's going on between Montreal police, of course, and U.S. authorities on this as well. Uh, it's, it seems rather incongruous that somebody from Montreal, of course, all of a sudden ends up in a, um, an airport in Flint, Michigan, and an attack like this occurs. What do we know about uh, anything at all about motivation and, and, and how we got there?
0: Well, we know that, uh, according to the FBI, he crossed legally into the U.S. on June 16th at the Champlain Crossing. So that's straight south of Montreal. If you're going to New York City, you drive south, and that's where you cross into the U.S. Uh, some he, I, We don't know what he was doing, basically, over the next five days, but he made his way sort of westward to Flint, Michigan. We don't, As I say, we don't know what he was doing during that time. As far as signs of radicalization or anything like, like that... We don't have anything. The the gentleman is uh, 49 years old, uh, lives with uh, two or three children, depending on uh, the report. Uh, We had neighbors tell us two, but the police out of the U.S. are saying three children and his wife. They all live together. They've been taken into custody by police for questioning uh, yesterday. Police are still on the scene at at their apartment, sort of in the north end of the city here. Um, But as far as motivation, As he was attacking the police officer, allegedly, he would have yelled Allah Akbar, sort of Allah is the greatest. And then during the altercation, according to the FBI, uh, also yelled something to the effect of, quote, You have killed people in Syria, Iraq and Afghanistan, and we are all going to die. So that would be uh, what's got everybody saying uh, that he had been radicalized. But other than, uh, we, we looked at his online profile, there's barely anything, uh, literally three Facebook friends, and the only posts uh, that we're able to see are basically prayers for wealth, uh, nothing more than that.
1: It's interesting when uh, when these events occur, and, and we start to get bit, tidbits of information from U.S. authorities, whether it's CSIS or obviously from, from FBI, uh oftentimes we'll say yeah you know he was sort of on our radar i i haven't from what you've been telling us so far mike and some of the other reports i've, I've seen we don't seem to get any impression that authorities knew anything about this guy
0: not at all as a matter of fact uh, i've been talking to people in the trucking industry uh we're hearing that he i have it confirmed actually that he was um, a trucker uh, he did not work for sort of a uh, one of the big companies he was actually placed by uh, these sort of brokers, uh, placement agencies, they would give him jobs. And there are reports out there this morning that he had sort of a fast pass to get across the border. And you only get that if you have no criminal record and, and no one sees sort mm-hmm. of any reasons uh, to, to hold you up. So... Uh, He obviously didn't raise any red flags and there there is a process to go through to get that fast pass
1: now Obviously US authorities are following up in Flint about what's been happening here Can you give us uh, an indication as to what's happening in Montreal right now? Because uh, as uh, even uh, Jeff Sessions mentioned This has now become a very coordinated effort between Canadian and US authorities.
0: I'm sure there's a lot going on uh, as far as the coordination, and that's about the only thing Montreal Police or RCMP will tell us. Uh, all of the information is coming out of the U.S. at this point. Uh, the Montreal PR center, excuse me, Montreal Police sent a PR officer there last night to the scene, and I'm telling you, he didn't say anything. Uh, I don't want to be critical, but uh, they're really not saying much at this point. Um, they wouldn't even confirm the, the gentleman's identity or that he lived in the building that the PR officer was standing in front of.
1: Uh, that, that, which is not helpful at this stage. Obviously, is, is there any concern? No. at all about about you know any any follow up to this. Is this uh, now being characterized as a lone wolf, or is there is there still concern about a maybe a, a greater threat or an ongoing threat here, Mike?
0: Well, I'll, that is one thing that police are saying, that they have no threats against uh, any anything in Montreal or anything in Canada or anything like that. And this is certainly uh, the word we're hearing out of the U.S. is lone wolf. That's certainly what it looks like at this point.
1: Well, the major question among many, I guess, among this is, is why Flint, Michigan? And, and, you know, why travel all the way to Flint, Michigan? It's Uh, My understanding uh, from the early reports we heard on Global, of course, through this whole incident, is that uh, even after he was uh, wrestled to the ground and and taken in in custody by authorities, he seemed somewhat cooperative to to be talking to them, I guess, and and, and not uh, hesitant at all about being forthcoming with information.
0: Mm-hmm. Apparently, he, he asked the police officers last night, uh, or during, after the attack, once he'd been subdued, why didn't you kill me, which is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, he did appear in court last night, uh, Flint U.S. District Court, uh, hands and feet in shackles, wearing an orange prison jumpsuit, and he had this, uh, I guess he had a spit shield over his face. He'd apparently s- spat at a guard earlier. Uh, they removed that shield during the process when he agreed not to do it again. Um, reporters in the courtroom said he had red marks on his forehead and a fresh-looking bloody wound on his elbow. Uh, he speaks English. Excuse me. He speaks French and Arabic, but has limited English, and that was raised as an issue at the court appearance last night. Uh, his next day in court for, uh, for a bond hearing will be uh, Wednesday, June
1: twenty-eighth. And as you mentioned right off the top, and I think it bears repeating, the uh, the person that was injured, the, the guard that was injured, apparently seems to be recovering.
0: Yeah, he's, he's certainly his situation has improved from critical uh, to stable, I believe. Uh, but he's quite a character, um, from all reports, as straight uh, shooter as you're going to get, according to people who knew him. He was a uh, local police officer for a couple of decades. He'd re- he had retired, and he was being a police officer at the airport was sort of his uh, second career. He uh, seems like a fun character as well, apparently, in <laughs> in his spare time. He is, uh, at times, a competitive eater, which is quite an <laughs> interesting
1: hobby. <laughs> uh, the stories we hear. Uh, Mike, thanks as <laughs> always. I know this is a very busy time and a very fluid situation. I appreciate, taking, appreciate you rather, taking the time with us today. We'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank Take you. Take care. Mike Armstrong, of course, Quebec correspondent with Global National. Following up on the uh, terrorist attack, what we should, I guess, officially call it an alleged terrorist attack uh, that occurred yesterday at an airport in Flint, Michigan. Uh, rather bizarre and rather unusual in a circumstance uh, like a, a town like Flint to have something like this occurred. And it caught an awful lot of people off guard. Uh, some people who actually witnessed uh, what was occurring at that airport uh, were, uh, were quite easily uh, approachable and, and, and talking about what they saw yesterday as uh, this whole incident occurred in Flint, Michigan. Here's a little sampling of that.
0: A police officer approached me, and asked me what I was doing, and I told him I was trying to catch my flight. So I went upstairs and I saw a cop, and he was down, and there was a whole bunch of blood everywhere.
1: We are uh, taking the man
0: in handcuffs down the other side. He had no, he was blank. He was just totally blank.
1: Uh, we uh, thank ABC News for the uh, audio on that, uh, and just a couple of the people that uh, were present at the Flint airport yesterday when this attack occurred. So how does something like this occur? Why does it occur, especially in a, a town like Flint, Michigan? Let me bring Phil Gursky into the conversation, the president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. Uh, Phil, thank you for the time. It's great to have you with us today. I appreciate it.
2: No problem, Bill. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm great. I've I got to tell you something, though. In reading your blog, uh, the I guess it was just yesterday... Uh, you talked about uh, some of these occurrences that have happened and said, well, what would happen once again if a Canadian went across the border and, can- and committed an attack like this? Uh, here we are talking about a very thing that you had hypothesized about about 24 hours before. Uh, it's it's amazing how, how these things are happening.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I, as I said yesterday, when, I, when the first reports were out and he was possibly a Canadian, I said, well, if he is a Canadian, this might be really bad because of who's sitting in the White House right now. But the American response has been excellent so far. They, they said, look, at you know we're on top of things. The FBI is cooperating with the, with the RCMP. We have a great partner north of the border. We'll get to the bottom of this. And that's kind of what you, what you want to have happen when you have an attack like this, is get the partners to start talking, sharing information, and figuring out what happened. So I'm really quite pleased so far in how the U.S. Attorney General responded to this attack.
1: Yeah, because as, as you had talked about in the blog before, the the identity was confirmed about this. Uh, you know, we go back to 2001, and we all remember some of the rumors that were swirling around at that time, that, that the 9-11 attackers all came from Canada and that we have crappy uh, intelligence here and we don't have much uh, security here, uh, none of which is true, but it was out there and it was perpetuated by an awful lot of people. And, and I, I guess you were kind of suggesting that, well, we don't want to go through that again.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the fact remains is that, you know, the, the only other attack that I know of, and and I am a former thesis analyst, like I, sh- I should know better, was the Ahmed Rassam attempted attack back in 99 when he tried to cross the border and go to Los Angeles. So this notion that Canadians are, you know, so swarming the border trying to go down south of the states and do things is, is simply false. The 9-11 rumor is completely bogus. that is so so still out there. And in fact, we have very good intelligence services. Obviously, I'm biased having worked for one and the cooperation with our U.S. neighbors is excellent
1: as well. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that, because I, I want to tap into your experience with CSIS as well, and, and maybe in, in some way reassure uh, our listeners that there is a sense of cooperation, there is some teamwork, and maybe talk about the five eyes and the cooperation that goes on in tracking uh, potential terrorist threats and sharing that kind of information.
2: Well, you are absolutely right, Phil. Look at you know there, there's no better relationship in the world than that between the United States and Canada. Yes, we have our differences, and yes we have our disagreements. but in terms of you know intelligence cooperation it's fantastic. That concerns some people, it shouldn't. look at they're, they're our neighbors, they're our biggest partner, they're, they're our best friend, and you know not to share information would be remiss. and we're also very fortunate in in having you know membership in what's called the Five Eyes Club. those are the you know, the large Anglo countries, so lots of the Americans. The Brits, the Aussies, and then the New Zealanders. And on top of that, we're, we also exchange information with, with like minded partners around the world. So Canada is very well situated in that it has very good intelligence and law enforcement agencies, thesis and the RCMP, and it has excellent relationships because we can't do this alone. No one can do it alone. And so, with sharing information, we, we keep ourselves safer because we get better, better ideas of what's happening out there. So, Canadians should be very thankful that. You know, this has been decades in the making and that we're actually better off at having these relationships rather than worse off.
1: Well, and yesterday, I guess, was a great example of that, uh, that as soon as the identity of this individual was known by U.S. authorities, they were immediately in contact with Montreal police. and, uh, And they started acting, of course, of finding the address and doing their investigation at that end. But we saw that even locally here, Phil, a couple of weeks ago uh with the uh, the hacker attack uh, where there were arrests made and one of them right here in Ancaster uh, uh here in the Hamilton area from uh, and again that was with the jurisdiction of US authorities of course who had been checking out of this for a long time so that this sharing goes on quite a long time and we do see how coordinated that is and how effective it can become
2: absolutely and and it, it's because it has to you know for the reasons I already mentioned and I know a lot of Canadians get nervous about that like you know you know, if we share information, you might get, like, another mayor or our situation back in 2001 where this individual was coming back to Canada from North Africa, got picked up by the Americans sent over to Syria. But the fact is, is that information is shared on a daily basis, and there, and, there's, and there's rules behind sharing, and there's caveats to sharing. You know, there, there's ways you can use it, ways that you can't use it. So nothing's perfect, but, you know, as I said, we this is a good thing for Canadians, not a bad thing.
1: Well, and put this in perspective. When you want to go back again to those, those horrific days of 9 nine eleven. Uh, one of the things, the, the subtext that came out of there that was even more troubling uh, to many of us was the fact that we found out that there wasn't a whole lot of information sharing between not just countries, but agencies within those countries. The FBI, CIA, CSIS, and RCMP, uh, they, they were working in closed shops. That's changed now, hasn't it?
2: Absolutely. There were a lot of silos back then, Bill. And I, I know from talking to my American counterparts, it was even much worse south of the border. So there is a lot of uh, information shared, both domestically and internationally. And, and the new the new bill that the Liberals have put before Parliament, C-59, talks about information sharing, which, again, some people are worried about, but, there, again, there is a system for sharing information. And if you don't share information, bad things happen. So I think that as long as it's done properly, as long as everyone knows what the rules are and the ways to handle information and store information, that we're going to be better off as a, as a result because, you know, no one partner can do it alone. And if you work in a, in a style, you work sort of with, with blinders on, you're going to miss stuff. And and no one wants to hear, we you know, oh, gee, we didn't know. Oh, oh gee, we didn't get to that message. You know, it was, it was buried in the database somewhere. No one wants to hear excuses after an attack happens. They want attacks to be stopped.
1: You want to talk to somebody who's, or read something about somebody who's actually been there, done that. Uh, you got to check out the blog uh, that, uh, that Phil puts out every day. Uh, Borealisthreatrisk.com. We'll get you in touch with the, the stuff that he's written about Flint over the last little while. Phil, always a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so much for the time this morning.
2: You're welcome, Bill. Have a good day. You too. Take
1: care there. Phil Gursky, of course, President, CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. Uh, And we'll keep an eye on what's going on in Flint, obviously, as the authorities continue their investigation, and we'll bring you updates as they happen. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900
0: CHML.